The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. It's time for that difficult second album. Welcome to the Star Blades. We're back as Sheffield United tune up for another season in the Premier League, where the surprise package status will be well and truly gone. I'm Liam Hoden. Joining me first is the Star's long-serving Blades writer, James Shield. How are things, James, already for the start of another one? Already fighting fit, Liam, and uh, yeah, and ready to go, ready to go. Looking forward to it, although it's not been that long since the last one, has it? It certainly hasn't, certainly hasn't. How about you, Danny Hall, completing our Blades writing duo? How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Not so sure about fighting fit, but here all the same, so we'll take that for now. Ah, good stuff, good stuff. Just to let you know, we are recording on a video conferencing site, so apologies in advance for any audio issues you encounter been a fairly busy week for United as they uh, build up towards the start of the season. Plenty of transfer activity. What have you made of it, James? Yeah, I think they've. Uh, I think they've done a really good job. Uh, they, we, we were promised an explosion of transfer activity, weren't we? Uh, by by Chris Wilder, and he's he's certainly delivered on that promise. I think more to the point. I think if you look at some of the uh, the issues that were raised at the end of last season. Some of the obvious weaknesses that became apparent in, in Sheffield United's squad, I think now at the end of this week, going into the first game of the new season next week, I think they've got reason to be uh, to be pretty satisfied with what they've done. Two new goalkeepers, I think that department looks, uh, looks an awful lot stronger with Aaron Ramsdale and Wes Fotheringham coming in. Of course, it's, you know, with the, the explosion of activity that we, we referred to, it's easy to forget that that Sheffield United did business with those two uh, earlier this summer. But I think uh, Max Lowe and uh, Jaden Bogle bring sort of obviously real competition at wing-back, which is something they've needed. Ethan Ampadu brings real competition in defence and also at the uh, at the defensive end of the midfield, so there's options there. Oliver Burke, we'll probably get onto him shortly, but I'm actually quite excited about this signing. Uh, you know, he brings some power and pace up top, which is what they needed. I think the only thing that is lacking in that team now is more uh, sort of or, or, or another out-and-out number nine, if you like. And that's something that they'll be looking to address before the end of the window. Danny, one of the big things that were apparent, particularly in the restart, was a relative lack of depth for United. But this week, they've certainly rectified that. Yeah, I think it's something that you always look to. I mean, with with Jeff United and the way they go about things, and you know the budget that they have and that, that sort of stuff, uh, it's always going to be, you know, evolution in it rather than rather than revolution. And you know, Chris said last at the end of last season, the squad at the first game of the season this season will be stronger than it was last game of the season last season. And you know, with the with the four boys that have come in in this week, as well as as Jim said there with Aaron and. And Wes coming in early in the window as well. You know, you, you can't really argue with with that. You know, it did need strengthening. Probably not so much the first 11 in terms of the back nine. Obviously, every every manager in the world of football wants another striker. But, you know, in terms of through the defence, which obviously did so well last season, you know, there's not too much needs to improve there. The midfield, you know, did well. There's also different options. You know, I know Sanderberg came in and did well. Uh, you know, John Lundstrom did well in his first Premier League season as well. Uh, it was just the front, you know, the front line that really needed strengthening, I think. And Chris is looking to do that as well before the end of the window. So, yeah, evolution as ever with with Chris. You know, he's done that in every window that he's 
that he's had at Sheffield United. You know, every time they've come out of it stronger than when they went in. Uh, you know, he's, he's shown himself not afraid to uh, the wheel and deal as it was and to trade, which we've seen again this week with uh, Carl Robertson going out. Uh, and yeah, you know, if you look at the, if you compare the squads from the Southampton game to the Wolves game uh, next Monday, I think it'll be uh, it'll be a hell of a lot stronger from my point of view. I really like the Ethan Ampadu signing, James. I'm very interested to see how he develops with, with regular football. What can United expect from uh, from him? Yeah, he's a he's a really really classy player. I mean, it's important to remember. I mean, he doesn't turn twenty until Monday. Incredible. Uh, so he is going to be, you know, inconsistent. There will be ups and downs with him. But in terms of raw ability and and pure talent, I mean, I think this kid's right up there with the. With the with the very best, I mean, he can he can operate at centre half. He can operate, you know, as uh, a, as as a defensive midfielder as well. He picks an absolutely lovely pass, and I think that's something, you know, players like Ethan coming in uh, and the challenge facing players like him because it's a big season for Ethan. Let, let, let's let's not forget that, you know. Things didn't go great for him at, at RB Leipzig last year. I know there was uh, was an injury to uh, to throw into the mix there, but you know, in terms of his Chelsea career, he's he, he needs a big season this year uh, on loan, possibly a big couple of seasons on loan at, at Sheffield United. the The challenge for people like him and Jaden Bogle and Max Lowe and Oliver Burke is. I know I keep hearing people talking about oh Sheffield United needed depth they needed they need some backup players they they don't need backup players I, I can go out and you know I could sit in in the recruitment office at, at the Steelfoot Academy now and say what's my budget I can bring you lots of backup players in sit on the bench you know safe in the knowledge that fingers crossed these lads are never going to set foot on a Premier League football pitch what Sheffield United need is players who can actually make us think before every Premier League game, crikey, what's the starting eleven going to be this week? Yeah? Or in two weeks' time, if he loses form, you know, Oliver Norwood had a poor end to, to, to the last Premier League season. There's no point in dressing it up. But you always knew Oliver was probably going to start every game. You know, now someone like Ampadu at the club you're going to start thinking, oh, Ollie's going to, he's going to have to up his game here to, to keep in the side. That's what they need to do. That was actually the area where Sheffield United really needed to strengthen. Not depth, not backup players, but players actually capable of walking into that starting eleven. And I think in Ampadu's case, they've certainly done that. They've, they've brought one of those to the football club. He seems like a really good kid as well, Jim. Obviously, you'll know him. Far, far better than I will from you know the Chelsea days, but just from his interview this morning, obviously he was put up on the, the wonderful world of Zoom this morning for our latest press conference, and just seems like uh, you know comes across as a really humble, just just a good kid really, which is no surprise really because you know the importance that Chris kind of puts on that. But you know, there's no no bones about it. He, he is making a step step, I say a step down, you know, from a club like Chelsea, you know, but. We've seen it before when players have made that move and there's a little bit of arrogance about them, you know, to, as if they are doing United a favour by, by being here. But with Ethan, it doesn't really seem like that from my point of view. Um, you know, he, he said this morning, you know, he's got a long, hell of a long way to go in football. You know, someone reminded him that he's 
he's got 15 caps for Wales now. He's made one Premier League game, so it's quite a, <laughs> quite an interesting one that he's more, you know, he's had more experience in the international game than domestically. But he said, you know, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not a, I'm not established as a as an international player yet. You know, I've got a hell of a long way to go. And as Jim said there, you know, he's one of those players who seems to have been around forever, doesn't he? I know he played when he was the made his first interview when he was about 12, didn't he? Uh, for Exeter so he has been around for a long time um, but yeah like you said Liam I'm really looking forward to seeing how he how he goes you know it's important as well that he covers more than one position which in our United squad is, is vital and I won't be surprised to see him get a few games in midfield because of that passing passing range that James mentioned he, he seems to love a tackle as well which which always helps On Bogle and Lord James are they going to be ready to uh to challenge for those wing-back places from the off? Uh, I mean, listen, despite everything I've just said, the, the chances are, if they're fit, you're going to see George Baldock and Ender Stevens uh, start the season for Sheffield United. I think they've earned that right. Uh, whether or not they finish it, that is going to be entirely up to uh, to Jaden and Max, isn't it? I, I certainly think that they're capable of doing it. I think they'll have to take a... A little bit of time to, to learn the system. I know Sheffield United have had a behind-closed-doors game at the, at, the, at the training ground this week, and that was largely to introduce people like Ampadu and Lowe and Bogle to their, to their system because there's, a, there's an awful lot of focus goes on how the overlapping centre-halves work in that back three. But in order for that, that formation, that system to function properly, you know, everything's got to be choreographed. The wing-backs have got to know when to stay and when to, when, when to go as well. So I think they'll take a little bit of time to, to learn the system. You look at the attributes they've got, though. Uh, you look at the engines they've got. And you look at these, you know, the intelligence they've shown on a football pitch as well. I think it's fair to say, you know, when you listen to Frank Lampard talk about working with them during his time at, at Pride Park, of course, yeah, I think they can. They they can certainly challenge. That's why they're here, isn't it? They're they're here to challenge. It's not a it's not a criticism of of George Baldock and Ender Stevens to say you know that they they need competition. You know, it's not saying that George and Ender aren't doing anything great, but I think when you look at Sheffield United's development as a as a top flight football club, you know. You just you can't have these players becoming too comfortable, and I just think it, you know, I just think it, it was threatening to become a little bit like that. And once again, that is not a criticism, but I, I, I do wonder if Chris Wilder has sat down at some point during perhaps even the lockdown last year and thought, you know what, it's it's actually although this is a pat on the back in a sense to my my regular established first-team players. I just wonder if this is getting a little bit too easy to, uh, to select my starting eleven here. I just, you know, I just wonder if he's thought, you know what, I, I would love to have a few more issues to be, to be grappling with. And that's two great players as well, isn't it, to, to learn from on the training ground. You know, you talk about yeah. Bogle, you know, and Lowe, both young, young lads. I'm not saying George and Ender are getting on by any stretch. I think Ender's younger than me. Um, but... Um, yeah, if you're you know if you're learning that that role in the Premier League, you know, from what I saw last season, there are a few few better at playing that that kind of very unique wing back role uh, than George and Ender. And like you said, I completely agree with Jim there, where he says where he said um, 
about the competition, you know, we said before, you know, those wing back areas are probably one of the weakest sounds, sounds uh, probably worse than I'm trying to make out. But in terms of, we said there, Jim said, um, every week we will be asked to pick our team and there wasn't any weeks where the, the wing backs were even a consideration in terms of who would play there. Every week it was George Baldock and Ernest Evans. And it's, again, it's no, nobody, and certainly I'm not trying to, you know, cast any, any doubt on their professionalism saying that that's crept, crept into their minds, but there must be a point where, you know, you think, you know, what would I have to do here to lose my, to lose my, you know, to lose my spot. And with all respect to Kieran Freeman, there wasn't going to be a point last season where Kieran played instead of George, if he was fit, that just, that just wasn't going to happen. And I think you're right as well, Danny. People forget, you know, that this, this, this is professional football. As much as everybody gets misty-eyed and very starry-eyed and doe-eyed about, oh, you know, what great lads they are behind the scenes and how they all get on with each other and they'll go out and do the shopping with each other and possibly camping together on a, on a weekend, you know, when they're not playing football. Ultimately, these are ruthless competitors. George Baldock and Ender Stevens ended up in that starting eleven because they kicked somebody else out of it, you know. And they're not going to be around forever. Hopefully, they're still at Bramall Lane for a long time yet. Uh, but they're not going to be around forever. They need pushing. They need that same competition, you know, that anybody else does in that squad. And uh, they've achieved so much at Sheffield United this starting eleven. It almost seems like a you know, a terrible thing that you can't criticise them or even suggest that, you know, possibly that starting eleven might have to evolve a little bit. Well, it does. You know, that's football. That's how we've arrived with this wonderful starting eleven that we've got now. wasn't the one that Chris Wilder inherited and it wasn't the one that even started the last Premier League season. This is just what football is. You know, it's a ruthless, horrible, selfish game at times behind the scenes. And, you know, I really hope that Max Lowe, Jaden Bogle, George Baldock and Ender Stevens, to some extent, are really ruthless and horrible behind the scenes themselves. Because if they are, Sheffield United are going to be the ones who benefit from it. Exactly. If, if they're sat there going, you know what, I'm not on the team this week, I really don't care. That's when you have bigger problems, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. I think with Bogle and Lowe, you look at it and think, there is certainly an element of planning for the for the future as well, which really... This is the first time with United's incredible rise, an incredibly rapid rise, they've had the opportunity to do that and with some certainty that they are building, you know, they didn't want to rest on the levels in, in, in the championship. I'm sure it happened a lot quicker than what anybody expected. But we saw players then cast aside who had been brought on board for that challenge that, that United had grown beyond them a little bit. They'd grown faster than what they had. Now is the opportunity if they can establish themselves in the Premier League this season after that brilliant season last season, that they can start building for the future and, in, and making sure that it's not just this team that has got Sheffield United into the Premier League and kept them there. It's now Sheffield United are an established Premier League club that go about things in the right way to ensure that this goes along for a long period of time. And those two signings in particular look look pretty spot on for, uh, for that sort of thing, it, it, if they work out, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no guarantees, is there, in the, in the transfer market? But I think you're right, Liam. You know, if Sheffield United get too sentimental about this, you know, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. They're going to end up playing championship football again. 
Chris Wilder recognises that. The players recognise that. The fans recognise that. And I think the other thing that really impresses me, actually, about Sheffield United's work in the transfer market, not that they need to impress me, but it, it just, you know, it stands out. And it's something that I'd really like to have seen because it's not always been the case at the club. I think they've been strategic rather than reactive as well. Uh, you know, you're looking, even going back to Aaron Ramsdale, uh, you're looking at that, there was an argument that possibly do you bring in somebody like Ben Foster or or Jack Butland who Stoke were touting around to possibly fill that gap, you know, for a couple of years and, you know, let's see how that position develops. Let's see who might be out there. They brought Aaron Ramsdale, another young goalkeeper. I think there was a lot of strategy. That deal was all about the timing because if Bournemouth went straight back up and Aaron had another great season in the Premier League, you know, let's be right, he would have probably been outside of Sheffield United's price range. So I think they've done a really good piece of business there. And you're spot on about Lowe and Bogle. You know, they've got them now for a damn sight less than's been reported in some sections of the of, of the media. And I get why certain people in the deal are quite happy for that figure to be talked up. But trust me, it is. It's a, it's a lot smaller than some people are saying. Uh, you know, they've got players who can come in and play now, but they've also got, when you look at the age of those, you know, George in his late 20s, Ender just turned 30, they've still got a long time to go, but they're bringing in players for the future as well, so that that squad can evolve rather than this constant sort of revolution, this, you know, absolute just constantly changing, changing, changing people in the squad. I'm sounding like Trotsky now, aren't I? So I'll, I'll shut up. It probably says a lot about the characters of the players coming in as well because, you know, if you're a, a right wing back who wants to go and play 30 Premier League games a season and you look at, you know, the established George Baldock and his Ender Stevens who've played, I think George played every minute last season, you, you know you're not going to have a fight, you're going to have a fight on your hands, don't you? So just, you know, I think it says a lot about their personality. They're saying, you know, I, I understand that, but I'm backing myself to go in there but you know if I don't start the season in the team which you know I think we can all recognise it is unlikely to because of the form of those those boys next season then you know they're not going to chuck the, the toys out of the pram so to speak so I think it says a lot about their character as well that they're obviously willing to do work to take on that challenge and back themselves to, to get in that team and then more importantly stay in it uh, Just before we talk about Oliver Burke uh, another one in terms of building for the future Ismail Akulabali. What's uh, what can you tell us about that one, uh, James? United signing a player and immediately loaning him back out. I'm glad you went to James then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you. you know what? I'm I'm not dodging the. Uh... <laughs> I, listen, I, don't, great I, I don't know a lot about him. Yeah, I've, yeah, always been a big fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, he he might. Joking aside. He might be a great player. Uh, he might be a great player in the making. But for me, the interesting thing about this transfer isn't actually the player. And I mean that with no disrespect. It's it, it's what you can see going on at Sheffield United now. We've touched on it. Well, we've, we've done more than touching it in the paper. Uh, I think what you're seeing here is a, a structure, a system, a network being established behind the scenes uh, quietly without with, with very little fanfare uh, 
to try and help Sheffield United keep ahead in the transfer market. And when I say stay ahead in the transfer market, try and sign players, you know, before their values explode. You saw this a little bit when Sander Burge came in. Sounds ridiculous when you're saying they were ahead of the curve, having spent £22 million on a footballer. But listen, they clearly felt that if they'd have waited until the summer, his value would have risen even more. But what you're seeing here is I think you will start to see an awful lot of players signed young and then placed with beer shop, where, of course, Prince Abdullah uh, has a, uh, a serious investment in the Belgian football club. You may even see younger ones placed with our Hilal United in, uh, in Dubai, uh, where Prince Abdullah, again, is, uh, is obviously seriously involved. And, you know... I think the, 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 the players concerned will look upon those moves and or, or should look upon those placements, as it were, as auditions to uh, to get to Bramall Lane. Uh, you know, so it, it's part of a network. That that for me, you know, with all due respect to the uh, to the lad concerned, that that's the real interesting thing at this stage about that deal. The start, I suppose, the end goal has to be, like you said, there is is making sure that you are bringing players through for the first, for Sheffield United's purposes. You know, we've seen different kind of uh, forays, haven't we, into different clubs around the world in the past. I know, I think Matty Lowen's probably the, the success story of that, isn't he? When he, I think it's no secret, he was probably on the verge of, of leaving when he went on over to, to Hungary, wasn't he? And then, you know, came back uh, and never really looked, looked back again. But like you said there, you know, you can, club, clubs kind of, expand into different areas of the world only for different reasons but from what I can tell this uh, United world kind of um, setup that United have got themselves into seems to me from the early evidence that you know it's doing it for the for the right reasons should we say uh, in well, terms I, of progress on the field well, I think as well the reason why this one possibly might work and others won't I mean out of all of these sort of the, the sister clubs or whatever you want to call them that Sheffield United have had in the past you know, up until now, I, w- I would suggest that Ferenc Varos was probably the one that made most sense. But even that was problematic because, you know, there is no way that a great European name like Ferenc Varos are going to be particularly comfortable long term with effectively being, you know, a feeder club for somebody mm. else. And Ferenc Varos don't deserve to be that. They're, they're, they're far, far too big a football club uh, for that to happen. But as Danny quite rightly pointed out, Sheffield United got a lot out of that while it lasted. The the issue with all of the stuff that was going on in China, of course, was was that nobody at any point seemed to have sat down and thought, you know what, work permits might be an issue here. Uh, you know, it was it, it was great in in theory, but in practice it it was it was never going to happen. Plus the fact of having actually been out there uh, to to watch some football. I think Sheffield United had possibly fallen into the trap that an awful lot of English clubs did at that time, and that is completely ignoring what the the Chinese footballing culture is, as it were, when it comes to when it comes to the English game. I think if you look at what's going on now, I think there's been a little bit more thought, which you and you would expect that because that comes from experience and of of seeing other projects fail. Uh, but you know. I think if 
where, where, where for me, you can see there's a bit more joined up thinking in this. It was something I looked at when I last did a piece on Al Hilal and, and Beer Shop. Belgium is obviously a country where, you know, a lot of clubs look to place players of African descent because of the, the immigration policy there and, you know, the old history. I won't go into any of that, but, you know, anybody who studied history at school will understand the, 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 the sort of connections there. But there's, there's quite strict legislation in terms of what players can earn, you know, or what they have to earn in Belgium. It's not quite as easy and as comfortable and as fluid as, as, as is often painted in this country. You know, I think it's fair to say in Dubai, that's not the case. So, you know, as they move on in the, in the system, uh, you know, obviously I think, you know, as, as, as players mature, You'll, you'll see them move down that, 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 that system of, of feeder clubs. So I think there's been a, a little bit more thought go into this one. Let's talk about the big one then. Oliver Burke, a very, very intriguing one, this. James, we've seen Chris Wilder doesn't dodge a challenge when it comes to, to players, Ravel Morrison, uh, Jack Rodwell as well. Is this the biggest challenge of the lot, getting the potential out of Oliver Burke that he, that he has shown? I don't know if it's the biggest challenge, Liam. I certainly think it's potentially the uh, the most profitable, though, and potentially the most rewarding. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't liken uh, Oliver to, to Ravel Morris, and I think they're both very different characters. And I think the issues why they've not, or the reasons I should say why they've not fulfilled their their potential in the game yet, I think are both very very different. I think Oliver has just suffered from having a, and I don't know who's responsible for this, I think Oliver's just suffered from having a really poor career development plan and being very unfortunate at West Bromwich Albion, whereby the manager who signed him very quickly went and was replaced by somebody who clearly had no need for a player, you know, like Oliver Burke. Uh, but I think it's fascinating. I think he's got pace, he's got power, he's got bags of skill, bags of ability. Listen, there's no point in pretending he hasn't shown that at West Brom. He's shown anything but that at West Brom. But I think this has got all the ingredients for being a really good move. Sheffield United can get this kid firing. They have got one hell of a player on their hands. And this and Sheffield United can be really good for Oliver Burke too. So, you know, they're, they're in a position in terms of their financial development where they've got to trade. They can't sign ready-made uh, Premier League strikers at the top of the pitch. They're always going to have to bring in players who have perhaps a little bit flawed or, or, or unproven. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Oliver Burke gets on because I've got a bit of a soft spot for the uh, for the Scottish game as well. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him do well. Talents like that, you always want to see him do well, don't you? Absolutely. You always want to see him maximised. Danny, Chris Wilder has got a decent record of bringing the best out of players who have perhaps not uh, uh, really hit the heights that they should have. I think one of them going back a, a, a couple of years, Leon Clark's right up there in that sense. He, he, he knows how to... How to do that? How to get that? What what's what's deep within inside and, and bring it to the fore? Absolutely. I mean, Oli Burke's got a long way to to, uh, to kind of reach the same legendary status at Bramall Lane that Leon has. Um, I won't go into the details of why because I know it still hurts you. 
<laughs> very deeply. But just going back to all of that, John Jim mentioned it. You know, bad players don't get signed for the money that he's been he's gone for. Maybe once, but not twice. You know, by the age of I think he's what is he twenty three. So to have had the kind of career path that he's had so far and the two big money moves, you know, there clearly is is something there. Uh, you know, as Jim Riley said, for whatever reason, he's obviously lost his lost his way a little bit. Um, but, you know, the raw attributes that he kind of has in terms of the pace and that kind of uh, power as well that Chris talked about, you know, that was what United needed. Uh, it was obviously a player that was available. Uh, it made sense with the Colin Robinson link-up, you know, that United have got a few a few quid out of it as well. Um, so like we said before, you know, Chris has shown before, he's not afraid to to make those decisions on players, you know, and, and to trade as well. Um, and like you said, you know, he's done this before, you know, play, I did a piece quite recently on the, uh, I was trolling through the, through Twitter actually after the uh, Burke signing was announced and he's not particularly a popular boy amongst, you know, that kind of outspoken West Ham support. Uh, I did a piece looking back to when John Egan signed from Brentford. You know, I trolled back through the tweets when when that was announced from Brentford selling him for four million, and the similar kind of thing. Really, you know, people were saying, "How have we got four million for him?" You know, and kind of there weren't many tears shed. Let's say about about John leaving for Sheffield United, and what is it now? Two years on, and it's probably worth, in my view, probably ten times that four million that that they paid. You know, it was a similar story when uh, Coventry lost John Fleck to Sheffield United, you know, Coventry fans weren't particularly bothered, I would say, about losing him. And obviously since then, you know, you know my feelings about about John and how, how highly I rate him. Um again with Leon, you know, there won't be many worry fans who were who were devastated to lose him, I imagine, when Sheffield United came calling. So, you know, it's no no barrier to succeeding at Sheffield United when uh, you know the previous team's fans are not particularly bothered to see him leaving. And you know, we've seen Chris before work his magic with players. You know, there's, there's been times, as you touched on there, that it didn't work out like with Ravel. But I think it was, you know, I think, you know, different managers have tried and failed to get a tune out of him. So Chris is not alone there. But, um, you know, on that side of things, his successes are definitely higher than his, uh, I wouldn't say failures, but the ones that have not quite worked out. So, yeah, as Jim said again, you know, it's... Uh, it's definitely an interesting sign, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, to seeing how it goes. Well, I, th- I think the other thing as well is, I mean, you, it was interesting to hear that, you know, because when when people look at players, and I, th- I, I think a lot of the sort of the social media commentary, if you like, I think it falls into the trap of thinking, do you know what, this is all about what a player can bring to a football club. Well, clearly it is a little bit about that, but I think when you when you assess players and you look at why clubs have signed them, I think you've you've actually got to just place you know things into a little bit more context and look at the wider perspective because you know it's it's not only about what a player brings to a club, it's what a club can bring to a player as well. You know, and certain players, you know, will thrive in, in certain environments. And it's perfectly easy. You know, I mean, listen, we could sit here and rattle off names all afternoon, couldn't we, of, of footballers who have been hugely successful at one football club, have, have moved on, been anything but successful at the one they've just joined for big money. And, you know, talk about why that's been the case. Most of the times, you know, as I mean, as Danny said, it's not because they're bad players. It's just because the club that they've gone to 
wasn't particularly right for them. So it's not just about what players can bring to football clubs, it's about what clubs can bring to players as well. And that's what really excites me about this Oliver Burke deal. And in many ways, I suppose, if you if you were to kind of put together a typical Chris Wilder signing, you know, he wouldn't be far off it, would he, in terms of the raw ability, maybe lost his way a little bit, but more importantly, that point to prove. I think Chris tried to play that down this morning when it was when it was put to him. But I think that is a big a big factor in terms of that hunger and you know probably inside Oliver you know there'd be a thing of I need to get this right at some point you know I've, I've got this reputation I've had these big moves they've not worked out you know at some point I've got to show what these people have seen in me um, you know now he's got a because he's kind of shifted about the last couple of years and he's got a three year deal now still a very young age you know international player and he's got that hunger now I think to go and prove to people that you know he is he can fulfil that kind of potential that people have bought in the past so yeah in many ways I think it's a, a typical Wilder signing uh, and I'm, like I say, I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, that kind of develops from now on Just briefly James Callum Robinson his time at United how, how would you sum that up? Uh, well probably I mean listen from Callum's point of view it's probably disappointing isn't it because you know, as much as this is a great move for Oliver Burke, I think it's a great move for Callum as well. Uh, clearly, Sheffield United felt that the qualities that Oliver Burke brings, they need more than the than the qualities that Callum Robinson brings. They are very different qualities. I think it's easy to see why that's the case. So, yeah, it was disappointing that Callum didn't get more of a more of a shout at, at Bramall Lane, but I think he uh, he didn't let anybody down. He's a nice lad, you know. He's one of these players, personality-wise, that you really hope goes on to uh, to be a success. And I think all things considered, you know, West Brom is probably set up, and he's probably he's more probably more likely to be a success at West Brom now uh, than he uh, than he is at Sheffield United. So you know, fingers crossed, it goes well for Callum. But yeah, I mean, listen, it's no point in pretending it's been the most successful move of Callum Robinson or, or Sheffield United's existence, is there? Because, you know, it, if, it, if, it, if it was, then he'd still be at Bramall Lane. Yeah, yeah. You've touched on it before, James, in terms of other business to be done and particularly the focus up top. Rian Brewster at Liverpool, is that something that could happen? Yeah, it's certainly something that Sheffield United would like to happen. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm just going to use this opportunity. I'll be really brief because the answer to that is yes. Uh, I just think it's a crying shame that Sheffield United are actually even having to try and fill this position in the squad, though, because they've got a player there. And again, it's not a dig, but you know, as Danny said about Oliver Burke, uh, you know, there comes a point when he's got to have to do it as well. Players have to take responsibility for their own careers as well. And Sheffield United have got a player in that squad at the moment that, listen, they shouldn't even be looking to bring Rian Brewster in because Lise Moussae brings everything and more at this point in his career that Rian Brewster does. And again, that's no criticism of Rian Brewster, but, you know, Lise Moussae has got more experience. But... I think the one thing he's got is no conditioning and he needs to take responsibility for his career now. Whatever else is going on in his personal life or away from football, I think it's reached the point now, and I mean this in a really, really nice way to lease, 
I think the way a lot of footballers are, he'll probably take this as a criticism, but I hope he doesn't because I, I mean it in a really positive and constructive way. But he's got the ability to be a 50, 60, 70 million pound footballer. He should be. I think it's, it's reached a point now where he's looking at his conditioning and looking at his, at his fitness levels during pre-season. Whatever else is going on in his personal life, I think he's got to got to now just think seriously about if I want to be a Premier League footballer, if I want to be a top flight footballer in whatever country, do you know what? I've, I've got to take responsibility for a few things here and things have got to change. Uh, you know, if I'm happy just swanning around in, in the lower leagues and, and probably drifting out of the game in two, three, four years, or certainly not realising the potential that I've got, well, great, I'll just carry on. We'll just leave things as they are. But, you know, Lise, if you if you listen to this, God, please, it's not a dig, but just get yourself sorted. Make the changes, get the people around you that I'm not saying it's all your fault because it might not be, you know, but that enable you to affect those changes to maximise your potential. Danny, if, if Rian Brewster is the one to, to come in to... Uh to try and get United five in, would you be happy with that one? I would, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean my chances of seeing him in the flesh have been limited. Uh, but, you know, he, he scored a few goals last season, didn't he? And he's obviously very highly rated. But just to, again, on, on just on touching on Lee's there, what Jim said, I completely agree with it. I think if you were to sit him down and say, Lee, where, where do you want to be in five years' time? Because it's one of those where he could be, the two parallels could be huge. He could be absolutely anywhere he wants to be, you know, having signed for, like Jim said there, astronomical amounts, or he could be, you know, in a backwater of some third division teams somewhere in the world. And, you know, like we said with Oliver, it's up to him, isn't it? You know, Chris and the coaching staff can do so much with him. But listen, I'm, I'm probably the last person to talk about conditioning uh, with the, the shape that I'm in. But, you know, there's got to be a state where he takes responsibility for that. Because the upside, as we've seen when he had that little bit of a purple patch towards the back end of last year, I think it was when he, he scored a few goals, you know, the upside is unbelievable. And we've said before, you know, there's people at Bramall Lane who rate him so highly that he could be easily that 40, 50 million pound player because the attributes he has is what every club probably in, in world football, I'm not saying every club in world football wants least Moussa, but the attributes that he has is what probably every club in the world is looking for. So I just think he's got to look two, three, four years down the line and say, where do I want to be? Do I want to be, you know, in the Premier League and, you know, the top leagues in the world? Or do I want to be, you know, swanning around? Um, I'm not going to say the word that I was going to say because it's a, a family podcast, but do I want to be um, chucking it in with my mates in my Lamborghini, you know, thinking, looking back and thinking what I could have done you know, or do you want to keep doing it for, for years to come? Because he's still a young, a young man, isn't he? You know, he's got a lot of time, hopefully, left in the game. Uh, and hopefully Sheffield United see the best years of that. Uh, but I think it's a big year for him, isn't it? Um, it's a big year for him coming up. I'm not sure how much more patience there is to Bramley for him. Um, I think hopefully he realises that sooner rather than later. A big year for uh, Lise Mousset, a big year for United as a whole. Let's look ahead then to this campaign and 
think the question is, James, how do you follow that one in terms of the first season in the uh, Premier League? What are, what are United? What what are United's goals for this season, and what should the goals for this season be? Well, I think the first goal is to to stay up. <laughs> There's no point in in pretending otherwise. I think that's going to be their first target. That was their first target last season. I think with the way that modern football is now, uh, you know, where the money is so important, I think that's probably going to be their target. Fingers crossed for the next two seasons after this. So, you know, first target, stay up. Obviously, the next target after that is going to be to uh, match what they did last season. Uh, when they finish ninth, of course, the, the the target once if if they manage to achieve that is obviously to uh, to improve on it. I think that's going to be really difficult, to be honest. And I don't mean that, you know, to sound uh, sort of too gloomy or or, or or whatever. I think it is going to be really really tough for them to to improve on what they did last year. But uh, you know, for me. I think it's at the moment it's all about hanging around at Premier League level and banking up three, four, five, six years worth of money because suddenly then the whole landscape changes. So for me, a great season for Sheffield United would be staying up without being dragged into a relegation battle. You know, I think they do that. I think they've had another great year. I, I, I really, really do. Fingers crossed it's even better than that, though. Because who would have predicted last season? Exactly, exactly. Given last season, Danny, and we saw murmurings of disappointment, to, to it could be said, during the restart when the season kind of petered out. What, what do you think would happen if United are in a little bit of a... It is a bit more of a fight, certainly a lot more of a fight than what it were last season in terms of keeping that Premier League status. Do you think there'd be grumblings uh, among supporters? If they were, if they were struggling to stay up or to yes, yeah, match yeah, last season, yeah, um, yeah, I think they would. Whether that's right or not mm. is a different question. I'd probably give you a different answer. Yeah, but I think there would be. Um, you know, every club's probably the same. Sheffield United are not unique in this, but there would be, you know, fans complaining if United were in the Champions League. And there'd be people complaining that they weren't going for the Premier League title. So there's always going to be that section of fans who are not happy with what there is. There'll always be a section of fans who are just happy to to be in the Premier League at all. And I think the middle ground is where you know most of the most of the fans the fans sit. Um, I think there is a, there is an element of realism there. You know, I think fans do realise that you know the second time round it's a different challenge, whether it's a more difficult one or not. I know Chris has got his own thoughts on that. The second season syndrome myth or the cliche that everyone now seems to be spouting about them. You know, first the first season it was, you know, Sheffield United have not got enough Premier League quality. You know, they're going to go down with, you know, record low points. Everyone's going to, if they have overlapping centre-backs, you know, they're going to get mullered every week. Uh, and now that kind of narrative has changed to, uh, you know, everyone knows how they play now. They're not going to, a surprise listen I don't think they would have been a surprise to anyone last season you know there's no way that they'd have rocked up at Bournemouth on the opening day of the season and Eddie Howe thinks Jesus they're playing three they're playing three at the back and Jack O'Connell's marauding forward you know, he'd have known everything about what was going to happen you know even everything in terms of analysis at Premier League level is is blowing up massively you know United would have known 
so much about their opponents, their opponents going to know so much about United. But it's that old thing, isn't it? Knowing it and stopping it are two different things. So, um, yeah, whether it, it's difficult to know how the fan base will react. Uh, I know Chris would not be happy because, you know, he always wants wants the um, wants the best for his team. You know, he's never satisfied. Mm-hmm. But that might be what it takes, you know. I, as Jim said there, you know, a season in the Premier League is worth so much in terms of financially. Uh, the kind of the cost of dropping out is so big that, you know, I don't think anything above, you know, 17th can be seen as a failure. Um, obviously, we'll all be aiming a lot higher than that. But, yeah, I think any, anything in terms of anything better than relegation, I think, will be seen as, as par. But, yeah, I think we'll be looking a lot a lot higher than that quite rightly as well because you know they set the season they set themselves um, and it's up to them to go and match it now and yeah. hopefully try and exceed it because you know that's got to be the target hasn't it but as you said before every t- you, you don't win 60 points do without passing 40 first you know you don't win 80 points without passing 40 so that's got to be the first target for me and then do that as quickly as possible and then just like last season see how far it can uh, See how far it can roll on. First target, didn't it? Without staying yeah. bleeding, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then taking it from there. Yeah. It's the question we always ask them, isn't it? It starts, what, what's your targets for the season? And nobody ever tells, nobody ever answers, honestly, do they? Because all you do is set yourself up for a, mm. for a fall. You know, if, if, you know, I don't know, Leicester say our target this year is Champions League. You know, probably Leicester's a bad example. If Chelsea, if your boys, Jim said, our target's Champions League and they get it, everyone thinks, well, it's Chelsea. You know, that, that's where you should be. If you fail, you just made yourself look a bit silly, aren't you? So, yeah, like I said, first target is just win the next, you know, win the first game, then win the next game, win the next game, and then go from there. And to be fair, that's what Chris has done all the way through, isn't it? That's his stock line with with journalists all the way through the season. He said, what's your, what's your focus now? And he said, just winning the next game. And it sounds, you know, it might not give us the best line, but, you know, it's it's, it's true. And uh, as we saw last season, it works as well, so. I don't think there would be, you know, if Sheffield United, if the, if the players don't match what they did last year, I think there'd be disappointment, of course there would be, because every supporter of every football club wants to see their, their, their team go well. But I don't think there'd be any great criticism uh, if, if Sheffield United sort of stayed up and uh, but, but didn't match what they did last season because you know fan, fans aren't daft I mean they're not I've sort of done a piece on this recently they're not a different breed they're not a different race to you know the, the, the rest of society they're, we're, we're all football fans on here we, we all know what the what the score is and what the challenges facing that football club are in the in the top flight and you know fingers crossed we get you know 30 odd thousand fans back in the stadium soon as well and you know let's let's be right you know if there was going to be a full house there at Bramall Lane on Monday night you know there'll be 30 odd thousand people in there who know exactly what the challenges facing that football club are as well so I don't think there'd be any I don't think there'd be any great disappointment, uh, any great sort of mutiny, no, but I think a little bit of disappointment perhaps, but I think disappointment and criticism are two different things, aren't they? Yeah. And as Danny said, there's nobody more demanding than uh, 
the man in the hot seat at the minute in terms of what he wants from his side. So be interesting to see uh, how things pan out, certainly, and whether United can uh, achieve what they did last season. First up then, Wolves, just briefly on them, James. What what do you make of this Challengers one to kick off this season? A tough one. And, and I think, again, you see Wolves and the, the disparity between the two clubs in the, terms of the financial might. They've thrown £35 million on a kid with a handful of senior football appearances in the last week. I think it just hammers home the, the, still that, that gap that's within the Premier League and particularly for clubs like Sheffield United. Yeah, absolutely. It always makes me laugh when I and it happened again this morning at the at the pre-match press conference when I hear people sort of tell Sheffield United players or coaching staff that Wolves are a great example for them to follow. You know, it's <laughs> they're operating on a different financial planet. You know, there's there's not an example to for Sheffield United to follow. Not not as things stand. Really, really tough game. You saw that at the end of the last season. There's a great deal of respect between the two clubs, the two managers. You know, I'd, how's it going to turn out? I don't know. I think Sheffield United are capable of beating Wolves, as we've seen. I think Wolves are capable of beating Sheffield United. I just think, you know, the, the, the real shame is that Wolves will be the team that's highly delighted that they're stepping out at Bramall Lane on Monday night into what is effectively an empty stadium. Uh, you know, so that will favour them. It's just a really, really tough game. Yeah, Danny, oh, your thoughts on uh, on this one? It, well, it wasn't on that. It was um, Jack O'Connell for England. Jack, I know it's something that we've we've banged the drum before. Uh, it was something I saw in the mid in midweek about a couple of pundits saying, you know, after the last game, um, England doesn't have a left footed, a decent left footed English centre half. Mm. And I was thinking. You know, there's no words for it, is there? Well, I think what they meant was there's no decent English left foot centre-half in the top six. That must be what they meant because, you know, if you're telling me that Jack would not have made a better fist of that of that role as well, uh, if there's a better left foot English centre-half in this Premier League than I didn't see him last season. So, you know, we've done... I've done pieces before, banging the drum. Um, every time Tyrone Bings is included in the England squad, it always makes me smile. Thinking of the uh, the goal that goes against Colin for both teams last season, and just you know watching them both as well, you know obviously there's a bit of bias in that uh, in terms of Jack being a United player, but it's just a just a shame really that you know when someone does you know put the performances in week in week out in the Premier League against the teams that United faced last season, and I think if you take the games he missed out. It will probably have had the best defensive record in the league last season. Um, and when you know a team won the Premier League with the at the margin, Liverpool did. You know that takes some. That really just takes some doing. So the fact that he is still overlooked every time the squad is announced this time might have been a bit different. I know he's been missing from United's preseason games, but you know it, it beats me. What else he needs to do to be considered you know he might be the next time the squad's announced he might be in there he might be really close he could be miles away but the fact that he's not you know been even mentioned you know in relation to the England squad is, is it baffles me uh, and I'm sure it baffles a lot of people at Bramall Lane to fair to him he doesn't seem to be too well I mentioned it to him before he doesn't seem to be too publicly anyway um, too concerned about it but you know every every English footballer in the league you know, would not turn down an English, an England call-up. You know, it's kind of the pinnacle of 
of your football career, isn't it? So uh, the fact that he's not been, you know, even included in the reckoning so far is uh, it baffles me. And hopefully this season he kind of continues to make a mockery of that. The campaign continues here. <laughs> That's pretty we'll much it. For this. Yes, certainly we'll keep banging that drum uh, for for Jack O'Connell. And that's pretty much it for this episode of the Star Blades, the first of a brand new season. Before you go, I'm going to bring in the Stars Football Club's editor, Chris Holt, to tell you about an exciting new subscription offer that we've got specifically for football fans. So, Chris, uh, new subscription offer for readers of the Star uh, online, specifically football supporters as well. What can you tell us about it? Well, Liam, readers have asked and we've listened and we realise that not everybody's interested in news. There are some people who come to us mostly just for football. And so we have come up then with a package of, as part of our subscriptions that is geared just for them, um, which means that they, they don't have to, you know, if they're, if they're only coming to us for football, then they'll have a cheaper subscription, which means that they don't they don't have the same access to all the news, but they've got full access to all of our sports output, which is obviously uh, mainly football, both United and Wednesday, but the other stuff as well, the basketball, Steelers, rugby, all the other stuff. So it, it all comes part of the part of the package, and is and is cheaper than the than the full subscription that that comes with the star. What would you say are the benefits of uh, subscribing then? Well, in my mind, we we offer unrivaled coverage of both Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. You know, we have our live blogs each each and every day, which run right through the day, given given the breaking news. We've got the depth of coverage that that I don't think anybody else has. We've got analysis, and um, our match day coverage is again unrivaled. There been there's no one around who gives the same level of of coverage that we do in terms of telling you what's happening in the game. And off the pitch as well, and the reaction from managers, the reaction from our from our own reporters there on the scene. They're each each and every game. They're at they're at every single match, and like I said, the the coverage that we can give our readers, you'll not find anywhere else. People will ask inevitably, why should I pay? Why should I subscribe? What are the reasons for this in terms of? asking people to pay at this time people have got kind of got used to things being free for a long time but but why more than ever do we need people to subscribe journalism costs money that that's the long and the short of it if if people want us to continue to provide the, the level of coverage that we've been giving them for all the for all these years then then a subscription is the best way for that to happen um in the old days people obviously bought a paper but fewer people are doing that now um but this is just like that, it, and and I must add, it's much cheaper as well. So the way that the uh, subscription pricing works out is, at the minute, there's an early bird offer of thirty nine pound ninety nine, thirty nine pound ninety five, I should say, per year, which is the standard subscription, and that gives you complete access to every to all of our our sporting output. And then there's a, a premium package, which also means that they can give. It's maybe for the traditionalists a little bit, but you get a digital version of the paper on uh, on an app, which you can read um, on your iPad. It's a bit more, um, a bit more hands-on, she'd say, as, as you know, a, a closer to reading the paper than than perhaps reading reading a website. And it's forty nine ninety five for the for the for the early bird offer. Um, I mean that that works out 
less than a pound a week. So if you if you ever bought a paper every day or even a few times a week, it's still cheaper than that. Definitely really good value for that thirty nine ninety five or forty nine ninety five. Well worth getting on board with that for the for as you say, the depth of the coverage that, that we provide. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a review while you're there. From next week, we'll be bringing you a short episode at the start of each week, looking back at the weekend's in, uh, action, throwing forward to any midweek matches or God knows when United are going to be playing on which days in this uh, coming campaign. And then each Thursday, we'll have the main episode as usual. Make sure that you don't miss that one. You can follow us on Twitter at the Starblades and find our dedicated United page on Facebook. Both are great for sending in questions and messages for the podcast. And there's also a link in the description for this episode where you can uh, leave us a voice message so you can get your thoughts and, and questions into us and hear yourself as part of this podcast as well. But for now, that's it. Thanks very much for joining us. Take care and we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Head over to the star.co.uk for all the latest news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.